And I think a lot of people uh, see those and when you go into a into a shop and you see a Leatherman tool under the glass and under lock and key and you look at the price tag and it's $120 and then you see a, a knockoff from China on a blister pack that's you can easily grab and take to the cash register and it's 9.99 everyone has a tendency to go ahead and do that to to try the cheap one first i actually think the copiers actually help us in that people buy them first see that the concept is good but the quality is terrible and then they are willing to come back and ask the clerk to get the key and wait and, and buy a real leatherman tool and be able to benefit from our quality we offer in our 25-year guarantee Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. This gentleman is the inventor of the multi-tool. He has helped hundreds of thousands of people, millions, in fact, make their lives easier. And in fact, many, many people have used his incredible creations to save their lives. The Leatherman multi-tool is an iconic thing in our society today. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Tim Leatherman. Welcome to the show, Tim. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nikki. <laughs> That's um, a little bit bigger buildup than I think I deserve. <laughs> <laughs> You're being too modest, my friend, but thank you very much. So, Tim, you know what? I uh, am honored to have you on the show uh, I, I know all about you. I know all about your product. Uh, I own a couple of Leathermans and I'm planning on buying some more. But uh, some of the folks on the show, they've probably seen your product in stores, but they don't know the story, the man behind the myth, as it were. Tell us your backstory. How'd you get to create such an incredible, iconic company? Well, the idea started when way back uh, 43 years ago, when my wife and I took a, a budget trip to Europe. And on that trip, uh, I was carrying a, a Boy Scout type knife, which was uh, fine for what it could do. But it was a long trip, and we were in traveling through Europe uh, for nine months. We actually went all the way to uh, Tehran, Iran, and back. Oh, wow. That's and, where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You're kidding. No, I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm a Christian from Tehran. <laughs> Okay, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, so um, anyway, we uh, we uh, bought a three hundred dollar used car in Amsterdam, and started driving and uh, drove down through Eastern Europe and across Turkey and over to Tehran. We had heard there was uh, work there, so we uh, went there and uh, my wife and I both uh, found jobs and uh, worked for about three months and then um, earned enough money to start back. Anyway, it was during that trip when we stayed in cheap hotels and the plumbing didn't work or we or the car needed fixing where the pocket knife wasn't quite enough where i often needed needed a pair of pliers so that trip was also a sort of a what are we going to do with the rest of our lives trip and i was jotting down notes and ideas 
And one of them, in essence, said, add pliers to a pocket knife. So when we got home, I asked my wife if I could build one, uh, just one, just for me. And she said, how long will it take? And I said, maybe one month. So she said, okay. So she went to work to support us. And I went to the garage and picked up a file and a hacksaw and started trying to build what was in my mind. And three years later, I had a prototype I liked. I filed for a patent. I thought it's going to be easy. All I have to do is show my prototype and my patent to a knife company. They'll pay me about $1 million, and I'll sit back and live happily ever after. But the knife company said, uh, sorry, that's not a knife, it's a tool. So I went to the tool companies, and they said, sorry, it's not a tool, it's a gadget. Gadgets don't sell. So meanwhile, uh, five more years have gone by. Actually, four more years have gone by for a total of seven years, and I've just about given up. When a friend of mine from university days who had been following my not progress, but lack of progress all this time. Uh, he stepped in and said, um, there's still a few things you haven't tried. Let, let's be partners and see what we can do. So I agreed. And at that point, it looked pretty clear that if we were going to get the tool on the market, that the only way to do it would be to manufacture it ourselves. But before uh, investing enough money to start a manufacturing company, we wanted an order uh, large enough to justify doing so. So we thought it, we were very naive, and we thought if we could make and sell 4,000 tools in our first year, we could maybe pay back our cash investment, but wouldn't pay ourselves anything for our time. So we were trying to find someone that, could, that would order 2,000 of the 4,000. And one of our thoughts was the U.S. Army. <laughs> Wow. But the U.S. Army said no. <laughs> and another thought was uh, mail-order catalogs. And we uh, found a, a list of catalogs that had uh, 280 different companies. And we took a picture of my prototype and wrote a cover letter and, and uh, mailed it to 279 of the 280 catalogs. The cover letter said, if you want to see my precious handmade prototype, just give us a call or respond and we'll be happy to send it to you. And we got zero responses from that letter. <laughs> wow. So, but there was the 280th. So, and that was a catalog in Seattle, uh, close enough to Portland that we could drive to actually visit them in person. So we called them and said, uh, we have a new type of pocket knife we'd like to show you. Uh, and they said, sure, come on up. We did. We showed them my prototype. They said, hmm, looks interesting. How much? And I have to admit, I hadn't really thought of a price yet. So I thought quickly and I said, uh, your price is $40. And they said, sorry, we don't think anybody, that means we would have to sell it for 80 And sorry, we don't think anyone would pay that much. But they did us a big, big favor. Instead of saying, go away, don't let the door hit you on your way out, they said, sit down, let's talk about this. And so I showed them my prototype. At the time, it was quite complex. 
And they said, how could you make it more simple and less expensive? And I said, uh, well, the, the prototype had a, a feature in it that allowed you to uh, grip something in the jaws, engage a clamp, let go of the clamp, and the object would stay uh, gripped in the jaws. And I said, if anything were to break, this would be the first thing. And they said, take it out. So I said, okay. And then they said, what else? And that prototype had actually two kinds of pliers in it. It had needle nose pliers and regular pliers, but the needle nose pliers could be driven by and but disengaged from the regular pliers. And I said, this is very complex, very expensive to manufacture. They said, take it out, just have one pair of jaws, have your needles at the end, your, your regular pliers in the middle, and your wire cutters at the bottom. I said, okay. <laughs> and they said, uh, what else? And I said, uh, I really admire the Swiss. I have no idea how difficult it is to make a small pair of scissors and put it in a knife or a tool until I try to do it myself. And they said, take it out, substitute a screwdriver or something. So I said, okay. So uh, Steve and I uh, got back in the car, drove back to Portland, went back into my garage. About six months later, I came out with a new prototype, which uh, looks very much like the original Leatherman Pocket Survival Tool that finally was successful. We called the catalog in Seattle, told them we have a new prototype to show you. They said, come on up. We did. We showed them the prototype. They said, that looks great. How much? I said, your price is $24. They said, that's fine. So my hopes are rising that finally now, after now, by now it's been eight years, finally we can get, we'll get a sale. And so I said, you're ready to order the 2000. And they said, no, <laughs> sorry, we don't think we could sell that many. So Steve and I took a picture of the new prototype, wrote a cover letter, mailed it to the 279 catalogs. And this time we did get a response, one response. And it came from a catalog called uh, Cabela's. Oh yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, they're really they're really big in the outdoor products and fish, especially on the fishing side. Yep. And uh, there must have been some correspondence that went back and forth because finally in late May of 1983, eight years after I'd first uh, thought of the idea and spending eight years in the garage, we got a letter at my business address, which is really my home address. The return address said uh, Cabela's. I opened it up, and inside was a purchase order for $12,000 for 500 tools. Wow. And I was so happy. Finally, after eight years, finally a sale. And I was climbing the walls and going across the ceiling, and finally I settled down and called Steve, and Steve was so happy. And then we both settled down, and we realized, wait a minute, this is only 500 tools, not 2,000. But we thought it over, and we decided to accept the order and, uh, and go start a company to manufacture them and see what would happen. And we were quite lucky because in those days, there was a long lead time from the time a catalog uh, gave a purchase order until they actually compiled everything they wanted to do, offer in their catalog, took pictures, wrote copy, and printed the catalog and mailed the catalog. So it was seven months from the time they gave us the order until they wanted delivery. Wow. We were quite lucky because uh, Steve's father 
had a metalworking business, and Steve's father agreed that we could move the equipment I'd accumulated in my garage into his shop, and then use uh, his <coughs> excuse me use uh, his machines and his employees on a subcontract basis. That's good. So we did that, and we started uh, producing the tools, starting with a production run of 4,000. During the seven-month period, we got a call from the catalog in Seattle saying, asking, is anything happening? And we said, yes, uh, we're in production. They said, uh, put us down for 250 tools, also for delivery in late December of 1983. So as you can guess, uh, time went by very quickly, and a couple of days after Christmas, we got a call from the catalog in Seattle saying, our 250 tools, where are they? And I said, well, we're, we're a little late, but we'll have them for you any day now. And they said, we need them really badly because they've all been sold. Oh, my. And, <laughs> and here's an order for 500 more. And a week after that, they called and said, the 500 are gone. Here's an order for 750. Wow. And two weeks later, the 750 had been sold. Here's an order for 1,000. And that kind of launched Leatherman into a dream scenario that we'd never, ever imagined in our lives. So uh, Cabela's sold their 500 just fine and, and reordered. And then it seemed that all the catalogs were kind of monitoring each other. And if they got a sense that there was a hot product, then they all wanted on board. So we started getting calls from the all these catalogs that had previously ignored us saying, we hear you have a new product. Uh, would you mind sending us a sample? And Steve and I at least were smart enough in business, even as naive as we were, to in instead of saying, you idiots, <laughs> why didn't you, you had a chance to get an exclusive and you didn't even respond. <laughs> no, we didn't say that. We just said, yes, we, we'd be happy to send you a sample and, and then we'll go from there. So then we started getting orders from catalogs like Sharper Image and L.L. Bean and Eddie Bauer and even uh, Neiman Marcus ordered uh, Leatherman tools. Neiman Marcus, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in that first year when we're hoping to make and sell uh, 4,000 tools, we were actually able to make and sell almost 30,000 tools. Whoa! And the year after that, uh, 70,000. And the Whoa. year after that, 160,000. Until in 10 years later, in 1993, we were able to make and sell more than 1 million of the original Leatherman Pocket Survival Tool in one year. Wow. So that's my long, long, long answer to the, to the backstory of Leatherman. <laughs> and how many tools are you selling a year now? Uh, now we're selling about uh, 8,000 per day. 8,000 per day? Right. Wow. That's incredible, Tim. That, that's quite the story. I mean, I've been riveted at the edge of my seat <laughs> this entire <laughs> time. What a powerful story. It, it, it's a classic entrepreneur story. So let me unpack a couple of points, and I'd like to get your comments on them. So one is you had a brilliant idea that was born of necessity, right? It solved the problem that you had. And many people who get into business that's where their first ideas come from. There's a problem they're encountering. They figure out a way to solve it and they go, hmm, there may be some other people who like this too, right? 
And, and, exactly. Yes. Yeah, and and so so that that really was the genesis of this, right? Right. And you got some validation from your friend who said, "Hey, I want to I want to go into business with you," and then. You know, it took you a while to get validation from the marketplace, but you stuck with it. You didn't quit. You believed in the majesty of your dream. And, and I love that. You know, you know, what kept you going during those, those times where nobody was responding? I had established a goal, and I was very, very, very goal-oriented to achieve that goal. And I was willing to keep trying and trying and trying and to do whatever it took to achieve that goal, to stay very focused on being able to achieve that goal. And of course, there were several times in that eight-year period where I did get discouraged and I was about to give up. But somehow I would go to bed very discouraged and wake up the next morning and say, today's a new day. I have a goal and let's keep going. Let's keep working towards it. Wow. You know, I... I usually do all my podcast interviews in one day. You're, you're my seventh and final interview of the day, Tim. And um, the person I interviewed before you was Anne Reeve of Chris Reeve Knives. Right. And she's terrific. And, terrific lady, right? And yeah. the last piece of advice she gave out <laughs> on the call was sometimes courage isn't loud. Sometimes courage is that quiet voice at the end of a hard day that says, tomorrow, I will try again. I like that. That's quite stated very eloquently. It is stated very eloquently. It's powerful, too. And that's really what you did in the early days. So you were able to get the business going, finally. People really took to this. What do you think had the marketplace, the customer at large, go, wow, this is awesome. I got to have one. I think we finally figured it out when uh, the second catalog from in Seattle, when they they gave us the uh, prime space in their catalog, they gave us two-thirds of the back cover, and they took a picture of this strange-looking object that no one had ever seen before, and a few people started buying it, and when they bought it, they started using it, and they found it so, so useful, and when they were using it and their friends saw them using it, the person that bought it said, this is the best investment I've ever made. You too should have one. And I think the word of mouth was what uh, created our our early sales. And And I think as far as why it was successful was that I thought I'd created a a product that fell in the pocket knife category. Uh Uh-huh. But if you can imagine a spectrum where on one side there's pocket knives and way on the other side are hand tools, tools like pliers and screwdrivers and saws. And then the logical connection between the two would be, there's pocket knives on one end, hand tools on the other. The logical uh, bridge between them would be pocket tools. And there was this huge void in the middle between the pocket knives and the hand tools where there was nothing until I came along. And, and the Leatherman tool actually ended up being a whole new product category instead of on the edge of either one of the pocket knives or the hand tools. And I think that's what, what people said Well, when it finally became available and people hadn't really realized that, that there was a need for it until they saw it. They said, thank you. Where have you been all this time? We've been waiting for you. 
And I think that's what, what led to uh, the success of the Leatherman tool. Yeah, it, it was a, a, a completely new category. Now, there's a lot of pretenders out there today, right? I, I see a lot of folks trying to make multi-tools. And I, I, I got to be honest, I've never been interested in buying one of them because why would you buy a second-rate version of something where you can get the first-rate version of it? You know, Eleanor Roosevelt said, it's better to be a first-rate version of yourself than a second-rate version of someone else. And it strikes me that many companies that are trying to get into the multi-tool space, it, it's not really who they are. They're not a multi-tool company. They don't get the space. They're just trying to cash in. And I think that's one of the reasons they haven't been as successful as Leatherman has. What are your comments on that? I think you're, you're right. I think that Leatherman uh, has always, from the very beginning, we've had an extreme focus on quality. And there's a reason for that uh, that actually goes directly to me because my name is on every tool so I want each one to be perfect. And we, right from the very beginning, I wanted to design a tool that actually worked. And I looked up the military specs for each of the individual tools that are within the Leatherman tool. And I designed the tool and then was actually able to, to build the tool so that each of the tools within our tool meet the military specs for that tool. So for our pliers meet the military specs for pliers. Our screwdrivers meet the military specs for screwdrivers. And so I think from the very beginning, Leatherman has made a, a high-quality product with great functionality. And then I think uh, eventually the market saw that it was successful, and the competitors saw that it was successful. And actually, at, at first, the Chinese started uh, copying our tools. So I divide our competition into copiers and competitors. And there's lots and lots and lots of cheap products from China pouring into every market, offering sure a tool are. that looks like a Leatherman tool for one-tenth or one-twentieth of the price of a Leatherman tool, but also one-twentieth of the quality of a Leatherman tool. Probably even less than that. And I think a lot of people uh, see those and when you go into a into a shop and you see a Leatherman tool under the glass and under lock and key and you look at the price tag and it's $120. And then you see a, a knockoff from China on a blister pack that's you can easily grab and go, take to the cash register, and it's $9.99. Everyone has a tendency to go ahead and do that, to, to try the cheap one first. I actually think the copiers actually help us in that people buy them first, see that the concept is good, but the quality is terrible. And then they are willing to come back and ask the clerk to get the key and wait and, and buy a real Leatherman tool and be able to benefit from our quality we offer in our 25-year guarantee. I, I, I interviewed Greg Medford of Medford Knife and Tool. I don't know if you know Greg, but um, he was talking about how he got started in business. And when he got started in business, he made a list of every single type of American manufactured product because he was looking to see what he wanted to get into. And he wanted to find out which are the ones where buying a quality American-made product was important versus unimportant. And he landed on tools as being the one category where having a high quality made product was critical. So buying a cheap knockoff was not a good idea. So like napkins, he said, nobody cares, you know, whether they're napkins or American made or Chinese made or whatever, right? But 
when it came to their tools, because a tool could actually save a life. It could be the difference between a job done well and a job done poorly. People were willing to spend money on a high quality tool. And that's what I found for myself. Like, no offense to Chinese manufacturers, I'm very leery of buying most Chinese made knives. I mean, there's a couple right now that are out there that uh, may crack my armor because they seem to be uh, cracking the quality code. But most of them don't, you know, I've seen some of these Chinese made knives. I've had a couple of buddies of mine buy them and they, they, they actually fall apart within a short period of time. <laughs> right. And then there's the other side of the uh, competitive spectrum to Leatherman. There's also what I call the competitors. And uh, a few of the knife companies have decided to get into the tool business. Yep. They offer uh, products that are good products, and they make uh, competitive to a Leatherman tool. Naturally, I'm biased, so I don't think they're quite as good as a Leatherman tool. But they're good for Leatherman because they do keep us on our toes, and, and we realize that we can't ever let down our guard and we need to always be offering um, uh, quality in our tools and we also need to keep developing new tools that provide uh, functions that people ask for and the tools they want yeah that that, that's very true i'll tell you i haven't bought a competitive multi-tool but i've watched some reviews on youtube for example someone did a, a a review of a gerber tool compared to a leatherman tool and they, they walked us through every aspect of the Leatherman tool and every aspect of the Gerber tool. And at the end of it, before they even gave their opinion, it was kind of clear to me that the Leatherman was a superior tool, right? Uh, like, uh, you know, tool for tool, you know, pound for pound, dollar for dollar, it was a superior tool. And I just thought to myself, you know, Gerber, neat company. I really love their trouble ad. I think it's one of the greatest uh, ads ever made. But they just didn't, didn't make me want to bite. You know, and <laughs> when I go to, to a shop and I see a Leatherman multi-tool, I own two already, right? I carry one with me most of the time. I want more. I, I've got the Wave Plus. I've got the Sidekick. I'm thinking I want to get myself a free. Uh, I want to get some of the other tools that you guys have as well. They're, they're just fabulous. They're, they're just so useful. They're so darn useful. And in this day and age, you know, I, I have a theory. I think a lot of men today are lost because they just don't know where they fit as men anymore, right? Like, I mean, the world has changed. And to me, a man wants to feel useful. A man wants to feel like he's got value to add. And something like a Leatherman tool is a tangible way for a man to say, hey, if I learn how to use this, I'm a useful man. I'm a, I'm a masculine man. I'm a man who can provide, take care you know, it's a throwback to, to the way men were when men kept their word. Men were all about taking care of their families and that sort of thing. And that's one of the things I think is a, is a message maybe you're not intending to send out, but just by the way that you've created your product, it's a message that you are sending out. <laughs> well, I think we definitely find, we definitely find that about um, 80% of our tools end up in the hands of, of men. Actually, about half of our tools are purchased by women, but they many of them are given as gifts to, to men. To men, yeah, for sure. And of course, we're also, uh, in this day and age, there's, uh, everyone is, is self-reliant, wants to be self-reliant, and so 100%. we... We want to, we very definitely want to, uh, more women to be buying our tools as well. 100%. But, but I do have a I do have a uh, philosophy on our, for a product philosophy, and uh, for Leatherman and it kind of meet it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the difference between a Leatherman and a Gerber. We uh, 
for me, I want to put in the highest quality with the most functionality in the smallest space with the least weight. Mm, I love that. Highest quality, most functionality. Uh, smallest space. Smallest space, least, least weight. Wow. Right. Powerful philosophy. Powerful philosophy. And you know what? It's funny you mentioned women. You want more women to buy Leatherman. So uh, my sons both play um, sports and um, they both play soccer. I, I took my one son out to his practice and I was sitting with a few of the parents, a few of the ladies, actually. I was one of the few few, few men that was out that night. And um, I, I hadn't eaten. So I brought my supper with me, right? And it was in some clamshell type stuff. So I, I, I pulled out my Leatherman. I opened up my straight edge uh, blade and I started to cut things open. And the ladies all came over and go, ooh, what's that? That's so cool. What is that? Oh, I said, that's a Leatherman. And they said, what's a Leatherman? So I kind of like started to like open it up and show them the tools and explain it to them. And they said, oh my God, that looks really handy. I said, yeah, you should go buy yourself one, right? She said, I think I will. I'm going to go buy myself <laughs> one of these things. <laughs> I love that. I always, I'm, sometimes I think that everyone already knows about a Leatherman, but I, and I always love it, love stories when someone doesn't know and realize that there's still a potential sale out there for us. Oh, man, I think you've got tons of potential sales out here, my friend. Tons and tons and tons. It's, Especially uh, in the interna- international market, I think. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. And, and, and I think, you know, if you make a concerted effort to approach women and help them see what's cool about a Leatherman for them, you'll get a lot of women buyers as well. But I also think you haven't even scratched the surface of what's possible in North America, right? Because if you bring and tie in the message of usefulness of the tool to, to what Steve Jobs called the aspirational identity of the buyer, right? So if your buyers are, uh, are you know, and your users are, are predominantly men, right? And you want to like grow in there and you start to look at what their aspirational identity is and you start to tie your messaging around that, they're going to buy more of these things because these are super, super useful, right? And I can tell you, I'm around a bunch of men, right? I'm part of a men's organization, a volunteer men's organization. I think there's two out of 12 of us who have a Leatherman. And of the remaining 10, only a couple actually even know what one is, right? And once, you know, I I, I tell these men, hey, you know what? Every man should have a knife, right? I think every woman should have a knife too, but every man should have a knife. It's a tool that men have had since the dawn of time, right? And when, when you see a Leatherman and what it can do, Every man should have a Leatherman. Every woman should have a Leatherman. That's my belief. That's 330 million people in the United States and 37 million people in Canada that don't yet have Leatherman. <laughs> You're hired, Nikki. We have an opening in our marketing department. <laughs> there you go. We're going to create well, an opening in our marketing department. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll be, I'll be happy to be an advisor to you and, uh, and talk about this stuff. But I think this is an incredible opportunity um, I, and and I, I really believe in you and I believe in the message of the tool. I remember seeing an ad, I think it was on your website, about a fellow who was a British special forces guy, right? And he was, he was in the Himalayas or one of these kind of snowy mountain ranges. And there was an avalanche, right? And the snow piled onto him and it broke, broke some bones and he was stuck. And, and he was kind of like strapped into something and he needed to get out of there or he was going to die. And he was thinking, oh my God, how am I going to get out of there? And then he remembered he had his Leatherman on him. He reached to his Leatherman, he got it out, he cut himself free and he lived. Yes, that was one of our more dramatic uh, testimonials uh, and on the use of a Leatherman tool. And another one was the couple in Canada who uh, 
took their snowmobile across the frozen lake and it broke through the ice. They were uh, swimming in the water, trying trying to get purchase on the on the edge of the ice. They couldn't. The man actually turned to his wife, came, swam over to his wife, and said, "I love you, dear. This, but this is it. We're going to die." And then he reached down onto his side, and he realized he had his Leatherman tool there. He pulled out the Leatherman, opened it up to the pliers function, put, held one hand on each hand and uh, took the tool with the pliers up and swung his arms up over the ice, drove the jaws of the needle-nose pliers into the ice, which allowed him to uh, pull himself out of the frozen lake onto the top of the ice, and then was able to reach over and pull his wife up too and save both their lives. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, these are, as you say, dramatic stories of what a Leatherman tool can do for people, and I think it's fantastic. And and, and to me, the reason that I wanted you on the show is because I love your product so much. I've, I've become quite the collector of, uh, of, of knives and tools, and I, I think the Leatherman tool is just an incredible invention, a very innovative creation. And to me, it's also an example of what I call thought leadership. It's an example of being sought after, of standing out in, in the marketplace. And I believe that you've done that and you've done that powerfully. I just think there's plenty of opportunity for you guys to grow and I'm cheering on for you. And if I can be helpful in, 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 in any way that I can, I will be because it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic tool. So Tim, I like to end off every single one of these episodes by asking you as our expert guest to give us what I call your top three expert action steps. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give our listener for them to be able to take their life and their business to the next level? What do you say? I would say that for those of you that are going into business, I would say your number one thing you have to do is please your customer. Number two is to maintain the quality of what you sell and to continuously improve the products you sell and to develop new products. And number three is focus. Stay focused on your core business. Wow, those are incredible pieces of advice. And being focused on your core business is so important. In this day and age, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it, Tim, with all the social media stuff? It sure is, yes. Yeah. So focus is critical. And as, a, as an entrepreneur, as, as, as a business person, as someone who cares about making a difference in the lives of your customers, it, it's important that you don't let yourself get knocked off course. Be focused. I love those three expert action steps. So, Tim, if folks want to buy a Leatherman, they can go to Leatherman.com. Is that the best place for them to find out about Leatherman, purchase a product, or find out where they can pick one up? Yes, that's a perfect place to go. It's Leatherman.com. Leatherman.com. Okay. And I noticed that you actually have some of your products where they can be customized, right? So if someone's got a, uh, a business, they can put a logo on it, or if they want to write down the name of a sweetheart or something like that, that's doable, right? Right. Well, that's a new, new feature we've just added this year. I love that. I'm going to make sure I order me a Leatherman that way. I think I'll order one for my sweetie and I'll order one with my company logo on it. I think that'll be great. So, you know, listener, make sure you go to Leatherman.com. Make sure that you check out Leatherman's incredible products and you pick one up for yourself. If you're a man or if you're a woman, you should have a Leatherman. Everyone should have a Leatherman. It's a powerful tool. It's a very useful tool. And it's one that could very well save your life. 
So make sure that you grab one. And if you're listening to this and Tim has inspired you and you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe I'm not going to be Tim Leatherman and create this world-beating product, but what's my purpose? How do I take what I'm doing to the next level? And I've got a great answer for you. That's a fantastic question. And the answer is, first of all, you need to watch my masterclass webinar, which is all about how to figure out what your expertise is, how to take that expertise and turn it into something that's monetized, something that's going to help you make a difference, the type of difference you were born to make. And the way you watch that webinar masterclass is you go to Nikki, N-I-C-K-Y, 360-360.com. It's N-I-C-K-Y, 360.com. And once you've watched that, if you're inspired and you want to take action, but you don't know where to go, you know what? Go to my website, eCircleAcademy.com, and Click on the button in the top right-hand corner or the one in the middle of the page that says, book your successful account now. That way you'll get on my calendar. We'll get to have a powerful and honest conversation about where you're at, what your vision is for where you want to go, what the gap is, and how, how you can get there. And here's what I'm going to promise you. I'm going to give you my entire heart and soul. I'm going to give you everything I've got to help you be able to take your vision and turn it into a reality. And if at the end of that call, you like what you've heard and you want to talk about how we can work together further, we're going to do that. And if you don't, we're going to say goodbye. We're just going to say it was great to talk to you and say goodbye. I'm a believer in serving people, not pushing people. Make sure you take advantage of both of these fantastic opportunities. Tim Leatherman, thank you so much for being on my show, sir. You have honored us with your presence. You're welcome, Nikki. It's been a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure, my friend, has been all mine. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible episode and incredible guest, Tim Leatherman, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. And to find out more about how you can take yourself to the next level, go to Nikki360.com or eCircleAcademy.com. Until next time, goodbye.